Hi everybody, I'm your host, Guillaume Cauchois. I'm back in my dressing room and you're listening to a new episode of Tapis Rouge. The shout out of the day goes to Jeff Robitaille, the beautiful fire artist from Bazaar, who was the first one to find out our guest today, Stacy Clark. If you've been in the industry for a while, you have seen or heard about Stacy. She worked at Cirque Soleil Casting for a long time. She was a jury member in a lot of different circus festivals. And she's now CEO of Circus Talk. So yes, she's been around. Casting can be a funny subject and getting a job is never an easy task. So I thought I would just ask Stacy about it. Her best tips, the do's and don'ts, and the state of the entertainment market nowadays. A lot of fantastic tips in this episode for you artists out there. So here she is, the amazing Stacy Clark. Stacy, welcome to Tapis Rouge. It's a delight to be here. Feels good to be back on the Tapis Rouge. <laughs> yes. So Stacy, you're super involved in the circus community. We have been very involved with Cirque du Soleil as well. Would you want to take us from the very beginning? How did you first got involved with circus? Well, the million dollar question. It started on a delightful summer day in downtown Toronto. I saw flying trapeze down by Harbor Front, view of the lake, people flying through the air. And having been a gymnast for a very long time in my past chapter, I immediately knew that I had to try that. And it began super casually. I was working in marketing and advertising. I had an entirely different career orientation. And then I started flying trapeze and I just took to it naturally. But it really then also exposed me to a lot of other disciplines. And so with that became this sort of transition. And I used to joke that I was living the flash dance story because I was... <laughs> you know, working in an ad agency by day and performing circus by night. And that obviously was not sustainable forever. Yeah. So I transitioned fully when the opportunities presented and started to work and travel full time as a circus artist, having gotten a bit of a late start at age 26. Wow. How did it feel to move from the muggle life to the mm. superhero circus artist life? I'm not sure I paid as close attention to it then as I might now in reflection. It just all sort of happened. It was exciting. It was timely. It kind of just made sense. And, you know, fun was a big driver, the freedom mm -hmm. of it all. I was really lucky because the agency I was working at had my boss, the, the owner of the agency was very supportive, had been a musician himself. And more or less at the time where it came to make a large decision, you know, do I sort of nip this in the bud and, and move forward with this circus career while I still can physically, or do I play it more sensibly and keep my job and just do a little circus on the side for fun? Mm -hmm. He was really supportive in saying it's now or never do it while you can. And there's always a, a place for you here, but I don't think you're going to need it. Wow. That's amazing. That must have been also super freeing for you to know that, oh, I have that backup plan just in case. It's not like I'm burning bridges and I, this 
choice have to work? It marked me. And to this day, um, it has left a deep enough impression for me to mention it. It really informed a lot of the decisions that I made from that point forward. And it was really that idea of just leaning in and embracing what was in front of you, understanding that, sure, we're acrobats. There's a ticking clock. We need to pay attention to that. But it was an even deeper message than that. I think it was really just follow your bliss. Mm, that's amazing. And so how was your career as an acrobat? What were the, let's say, your favorite chapters as an artist? I had a kind of a curious go of it because for a large part of my career, I was a street performer. And that was not what I set out to do exactly. I didn't really know where it was going to go, but I began with a female partner, someone who's become a friend and a sister to do street shows. We designed and built an aerial rig. We were the heaviest traveling street performers in the world. <laughs> and slowly but surely that migrated into more festival engagements and show engagements. But it really began with learning how to read an audience, learning how to earn literally every dime in your hat, really being able to pay attention and, and sort of read the environment and be very adaptable. And of course, have an awful lot of fun along the way because there was not necessarily a great deal of pressure either. It mm -hmm. was all very much a self-built environment. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was great. We have memories that actually go well beyond the circus. I mean, most of the circus stuff, I don't necessarily entirely remember. They might mm -hmm. be photo memories. Yeah. But I remember is the people and the relationships and the hilarity that we yes. enjoyed along the way. <laughs> That's amazing. And so from there, how was your first contact with Cirque du Soleil? Yeah, so I was beginning, you know, having gotten a bit of a late start, I, I was beginning to look at the uh, metaphoric hang up the tights. And I had a lot of fun doing other contracts too, like the, the sort of more normal indoor stuff uh, and some stunt work and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But, but I knew I was actually destined for something that um, would be able to marry all of my skills, having had the different type of background, mm -hmm. arts administration, advertising, marketing. And on stage, um, that's what brought me to Cirque du Soleil. So I was out West at this point in Canada mm -hmm. and saw a posting for an acrobatic talent scout in Montreal, my hometown, and it was the perfect time to come home. So I guess they liked what I was bringing to the table, which if I'm not mistaken, included the fact that I was a minority Anglophone. So it was mm. helpful in certain markets internationally to yeah, have that. Sure. Uh, an English speaker on the team. <laughs> and there we go. I joined this terrific team as a talent scout, specializing in gymnastics at the time. And then that gradually broadened. And so for the listener, can you explain a little bit what is the job of a talent scout? Like what is your, what does it entice? And also personally, what is your approach to talent scouting? What makes for you an artist or a gymnast or an athlete stands out? Mm, I love this question. And it's really so key to what motivates me and what excites me about casting in general. So in this company, but also most, a talent scout is out recruiting and identifying first, actually, the talent that is 
going to be a potential fit. And in the case of Cirque du Soleil, it's really through the lens of Cirque du Soleil. We used to say in audition that we're all here and the people in front of you are looking through Cirque du Soleil goggles because we are looking to fill the needs of that particular company. The same is true in a broad stroke for other companies or other projects, but we had a very definitive set of parameters when we would go looking for talent. So in the case of uh, this company, because there are so many positions to fill, Mm -hmm. there was a number of us who had specialty knowledge in particular disciplines. So there was a version of me responsible for music or for dance or for acting, uh, plus all the acrobatic disciplines. Mm -hmm. And that would require going out and making contacts, relationships, informing and educating folks about career transition opportunities, being present at all the big circus events to understand who's who and who's doing what on the scene, and mm-hmm. then actively recruiting people to come and demonstrate their interest in the company. So when you would go to a festival, for example, you would find talent that would potentially fit the needs of the company. And from there, you chit chat. And then would you offer these artists to audition for the company or in some cases, would you have already an audition planned and you would invite them to the audition or are you offering a contract? Like what is the conversation like? The version that we experienced at that company was very protocol driven and systematic in that it was very, very rare, borderline unheard of to offer a contract outright. In fact, our job was largely to fill the talent pool with enough really amazing talent that at the drop of a pin, based on the needs, there could be a solution in the database of talent. Mm. So it was not so often that we had a straight line from meeting an individual to offering a contract. In fact, there's a whole lot of time and patience required inside of those two steps, not to mention a whole lot of other steps. And so Really, it was about nurturing relationships and making the artists, but also their support network. So in the case of sport, that meant coaches and federations aware of what was potentially available to them. Magic word being potential. Mm-hmm. It was really hard to predict and know exactly when we might have an opening for that exact individual. Mm-hmm. So we had to really nurture that and draw people in with the allure of something that was perhaps going to come yeah. and in the same breath, perhaps not, yeah. which is a little challenging. Yeah. yeah I can imagine because I, I've been from experience when you're a young artist and you're first starting to put yourself out there, like knowing that there is a Cirque Soleil scout or a Cirque Soleil casting person watching you is always that thing of like, that can be my chance to stand out and to be able to get an opportunity maybe. So for you and your experience in all these type of events, what would make someone stand out? What would make someone being like, oh, yes, that individual would be amazing? I personally have a number of key building blocks that sort of combine like puzzle pieces to make a thing at the end, to make an appropriate shape. There's no question that in general, For a lot of reasons, and I can share some of those reasons, the the technical expertise, technical acumen is really important. And it's not just because you have to be 
the best at what you're doing, you need to be able to safely execute whatever it is that you're hired to do 10 shows per week. Technique matters. It doesn't always have to be the number one driver, but for me, it's foundational. And that's Mm -hmm. largely for the artist's safety. Beyond that, what stands out? That's sort of one of those classic intangible je ne sais quoi type of things. I love responding to what I see, meaning I can't take my eyes off that person, but it's not because they're trying to have me glue my eyes on them. It's because they just exude something that makes them imminently watchable. So I try to pay attention to how I feel and what I feel what I want to watch, what I'm drawn to, that sort of intuitive sense. And I marry that with the actual presentation and their technical delivery to be able to, you know, look for that package. And then I would add in the very, very important piece, which tends to come a little further down in the relationship building. And that's the human behind the artist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because touring on a show, the human aspect, like you have to be able to get along with people, to be able to manage your emotions properly. And that, that that's also very paramount for knowing by experience touring on the show. That Exactly right. You want to know that you're in a place that you're safe, that people have your back, that there's an openness that you can be seen and heard and that you equally are willing to see and hear. So starting to know a little bit more about the person and that as a scout tends to require a bit of homework sometimes doing a little Mm -hmm. digging and trying to get some referrals and background references and maybe zoom calls and you know back in the day skype chats and Mm -hmm. a little bit more digging all of that for me combines and i i use this word a lot but i'd love to describe it and it's fit it's finding the best fit that may not be the best artist in that discipline it's the best fit it's the one who wants that job and wants what the conditions bring with it it's the person who's hungry to work for that company in that environment with those kinds of people who are also available at the time that we need them there's a lot of moving parts that have to align did it ever happen that your feeling didn't like didn't work out? Like, did it ever happen that you found someone you're like, oh yeah, that person is amazing, and then one the person down the line gets on the show, you realize like, oh, actually, maybe he or she would be a certain way. He ended up not working out. I can't say that I have any real horror stories, but I absolutely have not been perfect in my crystal ball readings. And I don't think anyone ever is. No, for sure. Absolutely. With that said, I'm also a firm believer that fit is equally relative to the situation. Mm. Somebody who might thrive in one place may for very good reasons, unique to them, unknown to the rest of us, not thrive in a different place or a different show. Mm -hmm. And their behavior can change as a consequence of that. And timing is important too, like where they are in their life, what's happening, what's happening in the life of the show too, how that affects how the people will react. And maybe if the integration in the show would have happened six months before, six months after, it would have been a completely different story. Exactly right. So I think that's where this other rather invisible piece of 
the puzzle comes in and that's authenticity, which is a bit of an overused word, but I really believe in it in the, in the sense of knowing oneself. And I teach this a lot today to emerging artists, this idea of really understanding enough about yourself so that you can be genuine and authentic in how you present mm-hmm. and as transparent as possible. Yeah. But I think that's super interesting because it, it is difficult for an artist who is looking for a job to be genuine talking with a scout or a casting agent because it feels like you want to look your best, you want to sell yourself. And it's, as you said, to sales, it's not really something that you learn in circus school. So it's, I feel it's, it's a bit clumsy of these first contacts with talent scout. It can, be, it can be tough to be genuine, I feel. It's a great point. There's actually a lot of things that we don't learn in circus school or along the way as uh, an evolving professional. If I had a magic wand, I'd help to fix that and actually get people more equipped. Yes. Where I think it really matters, though, is just understanding yourself and letting the rest blossom from there. And you're right. There's there's these constructs. There's this idea that, you know, I try not to use the word judgment. I prefer evaluation. But the reality is we do need to make some decisions. And those decisions are based on criteria. Yeah, it's not that far off of judgment. But the idea of as an artist going forward and I think recognizing that by and large, the people who are in that sort of metaphoric other side of the table, the panel, the scout, the people Mm -hmm. making decisions. Now I'll I'll make it personal. I'll speak for myself. Mm -hmm. I want artists to be amazing. I want them to succeed. I want to find what I'm looking for. I wish sometimes I could take all of them just because everybody has something. Yeah. And so this idea that there's, um, you know, that sort of weird power imbalance that can be a little bit frightening and misused and sketch. I really like coming at people as much as possible as an equal. Mm. So you're trying to approach the the artists and people in a human way and just to try to understand like, yeah, I have this position, but my, my job really is to serve your potential and how I can, if I have an opportunity for you to allow your potential to bloom. And if it's not, then it's the best for you. So I'm not trying to deserve you in any way. That's exactly right. And it, it sounds a little altruistic, a little idealistic. Sometimes it doesn't happen that way. This business moves fast. Decisions are being made. We don't always like how they're made or why they're made. And that is just a bit the nature of the biz. Mm -hmm. But fundamentally, you're absolutely right. I love this notion of thinking we are in service of bringing you to your full potential. And yeah, it's for the greater good. It's for the betterment of the show or the company or Mm -hmm. the ticket sales and all the things. But those, those are all, um, those are all the pieces that need to work together to get to the very best product at the end of the day. Hmm. And from that chapter of being a scout, how did you transition into being a coach on tour? I had this really delightful opportunity to work closely with the development of the show. This was Amaluna. 
And in doing so, it was sort of tapping into my my coach self uh, and my sport past. Having cast the act in particular, the main act that I was uh, partaking in and responsible for, I was proposed to also join the creation and and then head out on tour as acrobatic coach. Where What I didn't realize at the time, and I can't say this was expressly by design, but it sure helped for later. Stepping out from behind the table, the casting table, mm-hmm. the screen, and stepping right into the thick of it really brought me back to my days as a performer and yeah. afforded me the chance later down the road to come back to casting with a whole new perspective. Yeah, I'm sure. But really the story goes that I had this amazing opportunity, uh, took advantage of it and enjoyed thoroughly the creation window in Montreal, building out that show. And then I went out on tour for a piece of the North American tour. And also promptly months, months, months down the road, ages down the road, realized, okay, I'm done now. Yeah. I don't want to be out door anymore. <laughs> That's my old life. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, but how was it to go in the field, like to go on tour? Because I feel that's, as you say, it's something that you, you can imagine what tour life is, but there is a degree of knowledge that you can't get unless you've lived that reality yourself. You're right. Professionally and personally, I lived in two very different spaces. I loved it professionally until I didn't really anymore. And I was ready. You know, I think I sort of saturated it. I was I was done with that particular lifestyle because it is so heavily lifestyle driven. Yeah, for sure. Um, I loved the inner workings of our village, of how it is that we would land in a place and miraculously get everything up and running and and recreate our home in every city in which we landed getting to know people um in that sort of 360 degree way yeah <laughs> mostly seven days a week maybe six if you really take your day off for yourself <laughs> um you know there's a lot of really really wonderful things that i experienced and learned i set out to visit as many coffee shops as I could in my spare time. And I was pretty successful at that. I committed to never taking the shuttle so that I would only ever walk or ride my bike everywhere I went. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I was pretty successful at that too. Until my bike got stolen. That sucked. (laughs) Happened sometimes, yeah. But here's a great story. Sidebar. My bike gets stolen at the end of one city run. We're into our next city. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not quite ready to just buy another bike, but I'm at least going to go to a bike shop and see if I can rent something and figure Mm. things out. And the fantastic guy there loaned me the bike for like two and a half months. They they were so thrilled to have Cirque du Soleil in town and we struck up a friendship. And this is the kind of thing you experience when you travel. You get to meet Mm. really cool people. Yeah. I had a loaner bike. Yeah. That's super cool. I remember I remind me when... We were just getting in Portland, Oregon, and it was maybe like two days after artistic calls. Like we were still in rehearsal before opening the show. And we were at the line at a restaurant and the lady 
before, right before us, I was with two friends. She heard us talking about the show, the staging, and she turned around and she was like, oh, are you guys working for Cirque du Soleil? I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh my God, I saw the, all the posters everywhere. I'm so excited. And so we had a short chit chat with her. And when was the moment for us to come and pay? The cashier said, oh no, the lady who was before us paid for everything. And we were just like, what? So we went to see her. We're like, you paid for her food? And she was like, yeah, I just want to, I want you guys to have a warm welcome into Portland. And so we were really like, wow, thank you so much. That's so nice of you. That's beautiful. You see, these are the kinds of things that you can't script. You can't make this stuff up. It just has to happen naturally for sure. yeah beautiful you know the other thing i used to do on tour all the time is i'd find a yoga studio and really commit to my practice and go to yoga in whatever city we were mm-hmm. in and that was really cool because i got to experience so many different practices and teachers and yeah. studio environments studio culture so that was really a fun thing that i would do in my spare time, just making sure that I was staying active, but also in some small way, connecting with wherever I was. Yeah, it's true. Participating in like the local activities, it allows you to connect with the cities and the people a little bit better for sure. Our partner in this episode is Circus Talk, the online carrier marketplace for circus and the performing arts. Circus Talk is the new thing that is great for our international circus community. It is an amazing information resource, bringing news, events, and industry trends to us, professionals working in the field. What also makes Circus Talks amazing is their first online casting platform that connects talents and talent seekers in circus and performing arts. If you're a talent seeker, You can finally post jobs and auditions in a professional and transparent way instead of using social media accounts. There are already over 28,000 artist profiles on Circus Talk that talent seekers can search while talents can find jobs and apply to them via the Circus Talk platform. You can get your first month free on both Circus Talk Talent and Talent Seeker Pro membership by using the promo code Tapis Rouge in one word. So go to circustalk.com, sign up to Pro, and use the code Tapis Rouge to find your spotlight with our partner, Circus Talk. All right, guys, a little side story now. Back in 2014, I hurt my back training backstage before a show. The pain was so intense, I couldn't put my socks on, sit for more than two minutes, and obviously, it took me out of the show for quite some time. I followed a strict core rehabilitation program and after six weeks, I got back on stage, but I kept having recurring pain. So I started to educate myself about core anatomy, rehab training, and pain science. I wanted to understand why am I doing all these exercises if the pain keeps coming back? The more I was learning, the more I understood I had to change. I started switching exercises, tweak some techniques and executions and also completely changed my perception of pain. After a couple of weeks, on top of reducing considerably my pain level, I was feeling so much stronger, which increased my confidence to move and better perform on stage. 
My life overall was so much better. Finally, I was pain-free and not scared to hurt my back again. I had a lot of artists and athlete friends who saw that happening and asked me, hey, what did you do for your back? And I thought, I could put it all out in a clear and clean way instead of always pulling random videos on YouTube and giving quick guidance. So I reached out to all the best doctors, physiotherapists and performance medicine specialists whom I met touring and asked them to help me develop Protocol Cut to the Core. Protocol Cut to the Core is the first rehab and strengthening protocol for back or hip pain that also includes a comprehensive course in core anatomy, biomechanics and pain science. It is approved by doctors, physios and performance medicine specialists from five different countries. If you are suffering from acute or persistent back or hip pain, you can find protocol Cut to the Core on our website at cuttothecorefitness.com. When movement is an issue, movement is the solution. And now, let's get back to the show. So you said you do the tour live for a couple of years and then you realize, okay, the tour, the lifestyle is not for me. From there, you said you go went back to being a casting director this time. So can you explain yeah. a little bit what is the difference between a talent scout and a casting director? So as I sort of technically moved my way up the ladder, I sort of hate that type of expression and that, <laughs> you know, corporate shtick, but yeah. I did come in um, first as a, a team manager and then ultimately a director. And it was switching gears and zooming out a little bit from the actual infield work and the direct contact with all of the different casting calls and the individual's candidates attached to those casting calls. And it was really more the governance of the various teams that did that. So I was really thrilled to work with my colleagues just in a sort of a different way where I was also there to support them. And as a manager, do the best I could to make sure that they were in the right environment to do mm -hmm. a great job. Oh, that's interesting. So you, you have to manage people who had your previous job. Exactly right. Oh, that's amazing. And with that small intermission of working on the field, you must have had all the right tools to just be nailing your job as a director. And if not all of them, certainly more than I had previously. Mm -hmm. You know, fast forward not that far down the road and insert a global pandemic, I felt like I still had a lot of tools in my toolkit that mm -hmm. hadn't been able to, to get polished just yet. Um, but that's sort of how things go. What I was able to do, though, is find this nice balance, at least it certainly was a great balance for me, of being mindful of everything that I had experienced and learned as a scout, and then equally as a coach and the life on tour away from headquarters, and then bring that back into a place where here we are, yes, under the ICQ sort of protocol and the, mm -hmm. again, the kind of more corporate positioning of things at the headquarters. But with, with a real connection to the fact that at the end of every digital profile, there's a human being. Yeah, for sure. 
that must have been so great also because I feel when you're on tour, you hear a lot, oh, there is such a disconnection between IHQ in Montreal and the shows. Like, oh, we ask for things, but it feels they don't really understand what we want or like they don't really understand the timeline that we need and stuff like that. So for you to have been in charge after your experience on tour, I'm sure you must have had a lot of very great feedbacks from the people who are still working in the field. We'd have to ask them to be sure, but I certainly <laughs> felt like I was doing my best. And honestly, if I had another magic wand to wave, it would be to dive into that much more profoundly because the struggle is real. You're absolutely right. How things work day to day in a headquarter and arguably any headquarters, not just the headquarters of that company mm-hmm. and how they are out there in the field are two different realities. And that doesn't mean they can't coexist harmoniously, but it takes an awful lot of work to make sure that the relationships and the communication and the respect and understanding is upheld at all times. Yeah, well, for sure. And for how many years did you work as a casting director? Uh, three years. Yeah, just under three years, actually, by the time the world changed. Oh, yeah. So what you worked as a casting director all the way up to the pandemic and then that's correct. As everybody else, you <laughs> went to do Bye-bye. something. Bye-bye. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I laugh now. It wasn't that funny, to be honest. I don't think it was very funny for anyone. No, for sure. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but again, this is where we are. This is what we have. The cards have been dealt. And um, it led to a very different period of time, mm-hmm. which and, is the now time, which yeah. is still changing and still not very clear. but but we're getting there for sure and i would say how is your overall perception of the circus community because as you said before you were very involved in all the festivals knowing the who's who and who does what and i've seen you as like you were a jury member in a lot of festivals like it feels like when there is a circus event you are always kind of in the zeitgeist how is your perception of the circus community in terms of its overall health today there's still a little bit of work to do, I think, to give everybody the same degree of comfort that we might have been feeling pre-pandemic. But there's some really beautiful things that have happened as well. It's like enough things in the solar system have shifted that they haven't all just kind of fallen back into the exact same place that they inhabited before. Mm -hmm. Meaning we all got a little shook up and I think that's amazing. What I see now and what I'm hearing firsthand and feeling as a consequence of what I'm seeing and hearing is this real uptick in social relevance as it relates to the voice of the artist. And where we still do have a lot of work to do in those spaces, and I'm talking about everything from the Me Too movement to Black Lives Matter to Mm -hmm. enriching the type of diversity that we see on stage. And I'm speaking here of every single possible variation and theme of what is diversity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We're, this is really starting to traction. Artists' intention, their commitment to being an artist, to identifying as an artist, making art, the significance that circus arts plays, the role it plays within the, the broader performing arts and within the overall uh, sort of arts climate 
I feel like we're taking up more space and that's amazing. Mm, for sure. The, the pandemic took such a hit into our community, like to have all the show stops, all the travel stops, all the studio closing. Like I feel it's, it's the job that we lost, but also it's the whole lifestyle around it. So that to have everything reopening, for sure we go back into it, but everyone has been changed. You're absolutely right. And not everybody changed in the most healthful of ways. I think we need to be really mindful of the fact that this took a really big toll on a lot of people. And there have even been moments in my life where I'm like feeling quite victimized Mm -hmm. and I'm not a victimized type of person in general, but, you know, feeling really like, Hey, I like life before. Thanks very much. Things are pretty great. And and this was really disruptive. then I can, you know, switch gears and look at how much I've learned and how much I've grown into as a consequence of having been kind of forced to. So there's a lot of wins there too, but it was, you know, we all had our own journey. We're still on it, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I love the camaraderie that I've observed. And I'm curious, I'll ask you back the question. Have you had a sense of enhanced camaraderie or coming together or taking care of each other vibes as a consequence of the pandemic yeah for sure i think during the pandemic i was having zoom with friends every day or every other day and we were really checking on each other and i feel the pandemic highlighted a lot of um i would not say imbalances but differences like you would see people who would be like three friends living in one studio apartment and then this kind of stuff so i feel yeah, I can say we really try to look after each other. But it was also very heartbreaking to see that, you know, a lot of people stopped, just stopped being artists, just not because they wanted to, but because they had to pay their rent. So they, and a lot of them, they didn't come back. Like when shows started to reopen, they were just like, I just don't have time, don't have the motivation, or I don't have the the space to be able to take time off work to train and go back. So that's heartbreaking to hear. So that's, but in a way, I feel that the relationships that transcended circus, it showed us that we're not just close because of what we share on stage or in the studio. It's because there is a real human connection that remains, even if we're not spending that time on stage or in the studio. I like that, this idea that it transcends circus. and certainly what I think we all do as humans, which is, you know, get into that kind of comfort zone and the the comfort rhythm, um, which actually without us knowing can become probably a little bit limiting and a little bit narrow if we're not careful. Yeah, for sure. And I loved also seeing a lot of people becoming creative in new ways. And like, Mm. I think that's the thing I choose to love about the pandemic is about that specific space about circus is that I saw so many people creating through different mediums. And so that thing that really allowed people and artists to realize like a creative act is not just creating an act or creating a show. Like even if, you know, opening a re- opening a food truck or like stuff like that, like that's also an act of creation. And that's makes me a better creator as well. And so I loved seeing all these kind of projects popping up a little bit everywhere. You're right. And I, I would hope for the health and long-term sustainability, but also growth and evolution of circus arts, that for every 
heartbreaking loss of somebody who needed to make a decision to go elsewhere and, and move on and move into a new chapter, that actually what you're describing sort of unearthed a whole lot of new things, people who now identify perhaps differently to balance out the loss that we've had from more seasoned performers or people who had different life circumstances. Mm -hmm. These new collaborations, new disciplines, pandemic projects, there's a lot of really interesting stuff that's coming to the surface now. Yeah. And one that I would love to talk to you about is your new involvement with Circus Talk. Do you want to talk to the listeners a little bit about that and how Circus Talk came to play into your life? I'd love that. So, hey, listeners, Circus Talk is the online career platform for circus and performing arts. And where that relationship began was, in fact, through two different very, very personal part-time pandemic projects. Uh, one was for a period of time with a handful of other folks, um, we had created the Lumiere project which was really sort of an online resource, just uh, sharing, making sure people were supported if they needed a hand to reach out, different resources, different ways to connect, uh, just sort of opening a portal for people who are deeply isolated at the, at the early onset of the pandemic. Okay. And in parallel with that, um, I had written an article around the extraordinary transferable skills that artists have, knowing that a whole lot of artists with no end in sight and no work on stage in view needed to start figuring out what they actually were capable of doing and where they might be able to put that if it were in a different industry, particularly. Mm -hmm. and, and if not a different industry, at least off stage. Although the reality is the entire industry really shut down for that chunk of time. Yeah. So I had written this article and uh, Circus Talk published it and that just grew into a connection and a relationship. I then evolved into a project that I undertook with them, a research project on casting within circus arts, what that looked like internationally, the how and the who and the why and what were the things that worked and what were maybe some of the things that didn't work so well. Mm -hmm. And it became evident that we were just really well aligned. And so specifically with the founder, Andrea Honus, um, we found ourselves in sync with a lot of different initiatives. And uh, I did not go back to Cirque du Soleil. My position no longer exists in mm -hmm. casting as we knew it before. And the opportunity was offered to me. Did I want to get aboard this online platform team and help drive Circus Talk into this new realm of being a more professionally oriented, casting focused marketplace for artists. It's amazing. It's, it sounds like it accumulates all the skills and all the experience you've accumulated up to that point, your experience as an artist, your experience in scouting and casting, your experience in the tour life, more like the management side, like everything is all the skills that you've had you had the, the opportunity to use all of them in that one position. I do, I do find myself very close to it uh, in terms of the, 
philosophical drivers and what we aspire to do, the joy with which I get to do it in an international space. Um, if there's one thing I would say that has really um, sort of struck me and stuck with me is the fact that those same goggles that I used to wear when I was much more immersed in a single company have now been stripped off and I have a really broad sense of what's going on in the world of circus arts. It's really afforded me the chance to connect with all different sectors internationally and continue to nurture these new relationships. So I find that really exciting uh, and very like I have a lot to learn and still so much, <laughs> uh, you know, so many contacts still to evolve. It's, it's a terrific platform with a really solid mandate. Uh, very, very strong intentions to serve circus and the broader performing arts. Still a challenge. I work there part-time in my mm -hmm. capacity simply because we are still very much in startup mode and we are mm -hmm. membership driven. And we work really hard to bring amazing content and amazing casting functionality tools to the greater public in order to democratize casting and try to create a more level playing field. And that doesn't exactly equal big bucks. So mm -hmm. I have to, but I also super enjoy uh, lots of other freelance contracts that mm -hmm. fill in my days. Yeah. So if I understand properly, the goal of Circus Talk really is to be an online platform where artists can create a profile and be viewed by all the talent seekers, casting people, directors who are looking to put on a show or if they're searching for an act, they can go on Circus Talk and they can find all these talents there. They can post job uh, auditions and everything. So it's really a place if you're an artist and you don't know how can I reach out to this company or like I would love to work, you, you can create a profile on Circus Talk and you can browse all the job of opportunities. You that nailed it. You nailed it. And so the, the two principal streams really are exactly what you've described. The opportunity to pull together like a space in which all these different opportunities live together, coming from all different companies, all different uh, parts of the world. Centralized hub with the goal of being a one stop shop so that if you're a freelance artist, you can not only enrich and um, build out your own profile that it can then be found, searched and found by people who are in the hunt for talent, but you can also be proactive and respond to those casting calls and the audition opportunities that are posted on the site. So this idea of it being a marketplace, you know, we want it to be transactional where people can come in and build out their network. The other piece that complements all that is our content and news. And so we are an aggregate site for circus news from around the world. Mm -hmm. And then we do a lot of original material, which is really focused largely on career development. And I say that with sort of quotes uh, in the sense of it being very broad. Sometimes it's very tangible, practical advice. We have a series of pro talks, for example, where I host um, discussions and a Q&A session with people mm -hmm. who sign into the webinar. And my guests are industry leaders, people who are making casting decisions for their respective companies mm -hmm. all around the world. So it's a networking idea. Get yourself seen and, and learn how to ask questions and, and be part of the industry. 
And then there's other things that might be a little bit more uh, DEI oriented, diversity, mm-hmm. equity, inclusion, important subjects of mm, how to be okay. more inclusive in our industry. Um, really, our goal is to pull together all the kind of content that matters that hopefully in some way can enrich someone so that overall the industry is just getting better and better and stronger and stronger. That's amazing. And I'm sure this initiative must have come at the perfect moment with all the shows and the industry starting to reopen after the pandemic. I'm sure you must have had a very good traction when things started to reopen. We've seen a real uptick. And what's so interesting, and I've heard this straight from the mouths of people responsible for casting in their own spaces, there are so many job opportunities out there. The goal is to just get them all centralized in a place where everybody can hear about it and not just people who live in that backyard. Yeah. That's the sure. the the goal of democracy is having something be a little bit more transparent and openly available to all kinds of people because of course that's going to feed the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. going to allow us to really tap into the diversity that we touched on earlier and not sort of just flip through the short list of people we already know who yes will probably do an amazing job but it's yes and other people can also do an amazing job let's look at all the options yeah for sure it's funny you're you're saying that the backyard thing because it's really something that i've seen i started circus in france and so the french network is really something that's very rich but also very closed up like i think it takes time to get in, it takes time for people to trust you. But then once you're in, you have a lot of opportunities. But to get in, it really takes some time. But then I went to school in Montreal, and then there was a completely different network. But it's true that all the Montreal-based company, if you've gone through the Quebec Circus School, the Montreal Circus School, or if you've been in the scene for a while, you know everybody and they know who you are. So it's easy to find a job. But I've seen also people coming from abroad and having them saying that it's really hard to get a job. Yeah. You know, ideally people who do score the job have worked hard and they deserve it. Mm -hmm, For sure. I think it's that idea that the, the process can always be just a little bit richer, a little bit more thoughtful, a little bit more human centric. And then hopefully we all end up with a really happy tapestry of amazing stuff on stage. And for anyone who would like to set an account on Circus Talk, what would be your advice to stand out on Circus Talk? Well, the very first step would be to make sure you have a profile. And it's super easy to get started, circustalk.com. You get to control what you put in there. So there's lots of room to upload media. And we all know a good demo is your calling card. It's worth its weight in gold. That's an important point. Yeah. I'm sure someone like you must have seen thousands of video demos. So what makes a good demo? I love this subject. Okay. So the first thing, and I'll try to make this succinct. The first thing is there's a lot of language around demo. Sizzler reel, demo reel, teaser, art film, whatever. If we're talking about a demo that needs to be evaluated by somebody who needs to make an informed decision for a contract, and I'm talking more of a longer term contract versus perhaps a gala or a corporate Mm -hmm. event, 
having a complete demo that shows a complete act, or if you're not someone who does acts, meaning you work in a troupe of some sort, something that shows enough of the variety of what you can do without being sort of an old school MTV rock and roll video, cut, cut, cut. We love to see ins and outs. I absolutely want to see phrases and movements in their entirety. I also need to be pretty convinced that you can do it every time and you didn't just nail one in 50 for the camera. Mm -hmm. Hi, Instagram. What that looks like for me typically would be potentially a little self-tape or an introduction to the camera, just giving us a little taste of who you are. Mm -hmm. I teach this a lot and it goes right into how are you holding yourself? What's your posture look like? Can you up, up keep eye contact with the lens as you introduce yourself? All, all the little details that are so subtle um, and with a little practice, everybody can nail it. But it's, it's our chance, especially at a distance, to sort of get some sense of who you are and what you're about when you're not moving or high up in the air. Mm -hmm. Full act or complete set of skills in a way that really helps me understand where you are. And that might be complemented, of course, with the resume so that I can do a deep dive into the kind of training you had. Okay. But I love a demo that practically answers that question for me. I can oh, okay. tell by the way you execute things, what kind of training you've had. And how long should your demo be? Like, should the demo be 20 minutes long or should it be nine to 10 minutes? Because I'm assuming if as a casting agent, you have 55 videos to go through in the same day, you also have to account for that the time. You, you don't have unlimited time to go through hours and hours of videos every day. You bring up a great point. And rather than fixating on a defined length, I would suggest that an artist's best friend is the ability to curate. Every single choice you make about what goes into your demo should be adding value. So here's a, I'm going to reverse engineer it and give you a few things that we don't really need to see. And I'm certainly not going to like dock points if I do see this. I'm not going to not consider you, but I can tell you that I don't have a lot of time to waste on things that are done in slow motion because who can do acrobatics in slow motion really in real life? Nobody. <laughs> so don't show me slow motion. I don't need to see the same skill from four angles. I'd really rather see the way that you innovate that skill, that you get in and out of it, the way that you carry yourself through it, what you project while you're doing whatever it is that you do. I'd like to lean into musicality when possible. So that tends to mean that if you're showing a complete act or if you're showing us uh, something that is designed to music, I want to feel that with you and through you. Okay. You just, you don't want just a background musing that is completely disconnected from your movement. That is so correct. Now, the exception to that would be if you are making a teaser and you are just sort of showcasing uh, you know, a one or two minute pow, 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 look at me picking up beat song and, and have it look good. It's like a little carrot. It's a taste test, but an actual demo that's going to be evaluated really needs to give us a chance to have like a digital audition. I want to get in as far as I can to know if I should keep this conversation going. And to your point, uh, yeah, here's what 
I think most of my colleagues would admit to doing, I certainly admit to do it. I fast forward all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to see your whole act, but am I going to look at it every single time in its entirety? I can tell pretty quickly where you land in the order of things. And so it's important to have, but if I am pressed, I need to know quite quickly right out of the gate, right off the top, how to find what I'm looking for. So that circles us back to curation. Everything you choose to put in that demo needs to add value, add information, answer my questions. Hmm. That's super interesting. And I'm sure a lot of listeners would <laughs> take a lot of notes about this because it's it takes time and it's for sure as an artist, you do put a lot of thought into you at, at Remember back in the days, I would just spend so long editing the videos and thinking, oh, like, should I do another layout with like split legs or just simple layout is good? Or should I just do things more like this, like that? And, so, and the slow motion, I think, is a very, very good point because I can see how an artist would think like, oh, and if I do a slow motion of that move at that place, they're going to see that I can be really, really clean and that's going to help me going but i'm sure you can see if someone is clean by <laughs> watching the regular speed you're quite right and and we are i mean that's that's the job you know you, you we get a trained eye to be able to see what is right in front of us and then see a little beyond that too so i'll i'll explain to somebody if we were to take any sort of skill or combination and give it three levels if you can show me a really well executed level three, I don't need to see your progressions. I don't need to see part one and part two. I've already seen that you can do that because you're showing me the part three and that suggests that you actually are doing it correctly and learned part one and two along the way. Mm -hmm. where, where I think this is important sometimes for an artist and, and I totally value and, and it even makes my heart feel warm that people care so much that they want to make the perfect demo. It's a tool. It's a communication tool. The best thing you can keep in your mind is who it's for. And so to answer your question about length, that might vary. That might depend what the submission requirements are or who's asking for it. It would depend sometimes on whether they have a limitation of file size or length. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. So the idea would be, you know, make yourself a, a wireframe, make yourself something really solid that serves, that is the one that you're proud to put out, that is a true illustration of who you are and what you are in the year that you make it, and then get ready to tailor it and custom edit depending on specific job applications and what they might be asking for. Mm, I get it. So making it the best way for yourself, something that you're very proud of, and then tweaking it a little bit, editing it a little bit, depending on each place you're sending your demo to. Absolutely. And so if we circle this back to Circus Talk and you have an online uh, profile as an artist, you can put your 2022 demo up there in all its glory. And when I start to go through as a talent seeker and draw out folks who do the kinds of disciplines that you do and you meet other kinds of requirements that I put into my search criteria, then I'm gonna pull up this demo that you've decided to put up into that space. I'll get to enjoy that, do my evaluation, get a better understanding of whether you're a fit for what I'm looking for. 
And now the ball's back in my court and I can come at you and ask for something specific if it's not there. Hmm. But trying to be all things to all people, that'll never work. Yeah. That's a, not trying to be a, a pleaser to everybody. Great advice. Now I have one last question. And it's a question we ask to all our guests, but for you, I'm going to tweak it just a little bit. If aliens would land on Earth tomorrow, how would you explain circus talk to them? Good heavens. <laughs> I hope you can make a compilation of all the crackerjack answers that you get from that question from all your different guests. <laughs> Explaining circus talk to an alien, well, you know, the salesy piece of me would say, go figure it out for yourself. It's accessible to everybody. Go visit it, experience it, surf the site, get a feel for it. It'll all make sense in the way that it makes sense for you, for the stage you're at in your career. Because it is actually meant to be a platform that's used and it's a tool just like any other in the toolkit to be able to support a, an artist's career and to be able to offer support to talent seekers who are looking for talent. We want to be the glue between those two parties. Also, I would make sure that an alien made a really good demo because that's a unique <laughs> profile. Yes. <laughs> that's a great answer. Oh, Stacey, thank you so much for coming and having a little chat with me. It was really, really great. And a lot of gold nuggets in there. I'm sure the listeners are going to love it. Well, it's really my pleasure. I'm loving what you're doing. And I wish you all the very best, you and all the members of your family. And a happy return to tour and your yes. own Tappy Rouge. Yes, <laughs> thank you very much. So I'll see you soon. And until then, take care. People. How great is Stacy? It was so nice of her to share all these golden tips about making a demo. If you're in the process of making a new reel, you now know that slow motion won't do much. <laughs> now it's time for you to give us a good rating and review. It doesn't take long and it really makes a difference for Tapis Rouge. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CircusTalk.com, or wherever you're getting your podcasts. That's it for today. I wish you a great day and an even better week. Meld, toy, 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 if you're having shows tonight or this week. And as we say in the circus, see you down the road.